Hello and welcome to the Tetrapod Zoology Podcast. Today is Thursday, the 14th of March, 2013, and here's Darren Nash. How are you? How are you, John? Um, I'm all right. I've been pretty sick. You've been sick? This, yep. And this explains the long delay in the episode three. Indeed. I had the flu, um, which put me in bed for about a week. But worse than that, for a podcast, I had a terrible cough, which meant we skipped two weeks. Um, two weeks oh dear so slack so slack well there was there was no way i could have done it with that cough it would have been very irritating for everyone it's quite but we're back we're back with the with the bigfoot special yeah which i'm thinking about calling featuring the features of bigfoot's feet Uh, okay (laughs) that sounds a bit strange given that we're probably not going to be talking about the eponymous feet of the bigfoot that much but uh yeah okay sure, i think we enough. will be uh i, think I that's suppose one of the to, well that's... the dermal ridges and trackway evidence i suppose is hmm. going to be mentioned in passing yes um so how should we do this should we just launch straight into it do we need any more preamble um no i don't really think so i'll probably leave okay. all this in so that's good enough preamble fair enough um, so yeah okay so why are we talking about bigfoot at all why is this a thing we talk about as opposed to, well, UFOs or mm. Uh, mm. I'm going homeopathy or something like this. Which, homeopathy. Yeah. Why are we talking about Bigfoot? Apart from the obvious. Yeah. The obvious uh, is something that's within the remit of the tetzoosphere, I suppose. Yeah. It's something that we, that's of great, of great interest and relevant to anyone interested in the biology diversity of uh, mammals, particularly in North America, of course. You and I both have a big interest in this. Um, I would say that we are informed skeptics on this. We should uh, maybe discuss that a little bit again in a minute. But uh, but the reason that we're talking about it right now, I mean, if you're interested in Bigfoot, then it's something that's there constantly. There's always new books and articles and stuff coming out, and God knows there's a ton of stuff on the internet. But we're talking about it right now. It's particularly newsworthy because this paper has been published by Melba Ketchum and colleagues. I think we mentioned it at the tail end of our last episode, didn't we? But we didn't really go into any details. So yeah. it's this paper claimed that, that claims to document the, the Sasquatch. For those who don't know, Sasquatch is an, another name for Bigfoot. The Sasquatch genome. This team of researchers led by Melba Ketchum, Ketchum et al. They say they have um, sequenced Bigfoot's DNA. Um, <clears throat> And uh, <laughs> where, where, do we, where do we start on this? Well, I mean, I, actually, what I wanted to start out with is why is Bigfoot not a crazy notion? So why why is its prior plausibility prior plausibility so well, I, relatively high compared to yeah. some other things which people think are crazy? Big, they put Bigfoot in the same category as, as I said, you know, alien visitation, yeah, and, and homeopathy unicorns and, and unicorns and leprechauns, and leprechauns exactly, but. That's not really yeah. the case. So let's talk yeah. a little bit about why Bigfoot is actually much more plausible than these sorts of things. Yeah. So, so I mentioned, I just said that we're we're informed skeptics. I think a lot of the people who call themselves skeptics, this is not true for everybody who calls themselves a skeptic, but a lot of the people, particularly in the UK, that I meet who call themselves skeptics are not really skeptics. They are 
rejectionists or debunkers. They've already decided that something is, is implausible or ridiculous, so they therefore don't really investigate it. If you actually... No, I, and I often don't think that Bigfoot gets a fair hearing in that I think that many of the people who decide that it's um, a non-starter have decided that it's a non-starter before they've read any of the literature. And if you look at the Bigfoot literature, I mean, there's these thousands of sightings. There's supposed to be a large amount of field evidence as well, including not only tracks and uh, um, marks left on trees, but also droppings and nests and um, uh feeding sign, the sorts of things that a real animal would leave. So there is at least a body of, of evidence that at least should be considered. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying that that stuff is, um, you know, is good stuff that does support the existence of the creature. I'm just saying that there is this large body of evidence that people have to kind of explain away, explain the best they can before they go down the route of saying that it's a, it's a, it's a no-no. But the whole idea of um, this is a kind of philosophical point. I'm not really sure how to frame this right, but I'll explain it the best I can. The, the 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 point of view of the like the rejectionist or the debunker is that the idea of a big um, bipedal ape of some sort that's wandering around the woods of North America. Their idea is that that idea is ridiculous and can't be taken seriously. Whereas I think that if you take the point of view of a you know true skeptic by itself that idea is not ridiculous out of hand. You can't reject that out of hand. I mean, we know that new large animals are discovered around the world um, on a fairly regular basis. And there are a few um, relatively large animals even in North America that have been discovered within recent, uh, recent decades, as in within recent being anything from 50 to 100 years, you know, like new populations of, of bison, that, that kind of thing. So... I don't agree that the concept of Sasquatch itself is ridiculous, especially when this animal is supposed to wander about in areas that are the size of, you know, some of the countries here in Europe and have hardly any people in them. So I don't think the idea is ridiculous. As to whether the evidence supports its putative existence, well, that's the question, isn't it? And um, I certainly would say that within the last few years, some of the better bits of evidence that have been put forward and have certainly been fairly convincing to some people who aren't necessarily Bigfoot fans or Bigfoot supporters, but who are, you know, skeptical biologists, some of these bits of evidence have, um, yeah, sort of fallen away. Yeah, so well, let's um, talk about some of those bits of evidence then. Um, what shall we get started on? Uh, let's... What would you like to start well, with? Well, I, I would say, you know, you and I have been talking about Sasquatch since, would you believe, 2006. And, yeah. um, and my opinion on the subject in 2006 was rather different from what it is now because um, I would say there is three pieces of evidence that in 2006 I thought were looking pretty good. I, I, don't, wanna, I don't want to say they were compelling, but they were, you know, pretty encouraging. So let's go through each of them. There's the well, well, okay. Let's list them. There's the the Jimmy Chilcot dermal ridge or dermatoglyphic footprint evidence. Yeah. There's the Skookum Meadows body cast, and there's the Patterson Gimlin footage of 1967. So, the Jimmy Chilcot dermal ridge evidence. Now, people started. People were really excited about this. The, the, the small number of people that actually know about this stuff. People who are interested in this phenomenon were really interested in this around about 2006. This forensic... He's a fingerprint expert. He's a, a latent fingerprint expert. That's right. So, so he, yeah, so he should be an expert on the interpretation of obviously human fingerprints. And his 
claim was that he was an expert on he 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 had self-taught himself to be an expert on non-human primate um, fingerprints as well. And somebody asked him to take a look at some Sasquatch tracks, and he was surprised to find that because okay, everybody knows that the ridges that you have on your fingers, you have those on your toes as well. So you could theoretically, if people walked around and left footprints everywhere, naked footprints everywhere, you could uh, identify people on the basis of footprint evidence as well as fingerprint evidence. And he looked at the Sasquatch tracks and he was surprised to find what he thought were dermal ridges. And he said that the, the dermal ridges were kind of consistent with what we know about the anatomy of primate toes and the dermal ridges and that the anatomy was... Uh, similar to that of like orangutans and, and other apes, and it did seem consistent with the idea this was a biologically real entity that was leaving real fingerprint evidence. He wasn't the first person to say this. I mean, other people interested in Sasquatch have before, like Grover Krantz and a couple of other people. But um, the, the evidence, I would say that back in 2006, the evidence was looking pretty good. It was looking like, hey, wow, <clears throat> this people really do seem to be onto something here. There's something really interesting. But... Um, yeah, um, of course, and I, I don't want to get too ahead of um, ourselves here, but it, it has the same sort of flavour that a lot of this evidence has, is that some expert comes in, and I don't doubt um, his expertise in forensic uh, fingerprint analysis, Yeah, and says, this is the case, or this is what I think the case is, and everyone else goes, oh, great, so and accepts it. Mm. Mm. Whereas he didn't ever lay out his methodology properly. He never he didn't publish on this, did he? No, that's that's a crucial thing, yeah. And so people were largely unaware of how he'd ar arrived at this conclusion. Yeah. So I would say with a claim like this, there are a couple of steps that you need to go through to before you should think about embracing it as a piece of evidence. One of them is, is the person concerned? Do they, are they an established expert? As you said, we know this guy is an expert on fingerprints, but has he demonstrated expertise in non-human primate anatomy? Secondly, has it been published? Has it actually been published properly? You know, has it passed peer review or this kind of stuff? Or is it somewhere that seems to be trustworthy? And these bits of evidence, a piece of evidence for Sasquatch, they're in the Sasquatch literature, some of which is like quite attractive and glossy and looks quite nice, but um, some of it looks technical, <clears throat> but they're not actually in the proper mainstream technical literature. And so far as I know, that is not the case with this dermal ridge evidence. And the, the, so, so the, the whole, I'm doing a very long-winded job of this, right? But the whole point of everything I'm saying is that my opinion in 2006 was that it looked pretty good, but now we've got reason to think that it's not so good, right? Do you want to talk about that? You're familiar um, with this stuff? Of why it doesn't look so good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think actually we should run through the bits of evidence first. Okay. And then okay. go, uh, go through in order. It. Yeah, come back, okay. come back to why we think a lot of these things are falling apart. So, okay. but, so just to recap, um, Jimmy Chilcott's dermal ridge evidence, supported by an... Oh, uh, let's call him an expert. I, I do believe he is. Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Dermal ridges of, of um, humans and primates. I mean, why not? I mm. think he probably is. Humans um, and other other primates. Yeah, other primates. Sorry. Ooh, good catch. <laughs> um, so let's move on to the Skookum cast. So the it's a it's a cast. yeah it's another it's a similar sort of thing, isn't it? It's more trace yeah. trace evidence. Yeah. But yeah let's talk. That's right. Let's talk trace about evidence. That. 
So September 2000, the Bigfoot Field Research Organization, BFRO, a group that you hear about a lot in connection with uh, Sasquatch investigation, they um, came up with the idea that if they baited um, an area, a like big muddy area, uh, baited as in that like they left food down for, for animals to come and eat, they did this in the Skookum Meadows area in Washington State. They hoped that they would actually get tracks of a Sasquatch. You know, they're, they're obviously working from the, the their primary assumption. Obviously, is that Sasquatch is a real animal, and they just want to like you know document the existence of it. So they put a load of fruit in a big muddy wallow area, and um, um, they actually succeeded in getting obtaining the big body cast as in like a, a an area of flattened mud where an animal a big animal had reclined in the mud apparently reclined their interpretation is that they reclined in the mud to feed on the fruit bait and uh, <clears throat> they um they they made a plaster cast of this body impression in the mud it's really big you know it's about say uh, something like 1.5 meters by a meter and obviously required a lot of plaster um and what they think they have is if you imagine a imagine a human-shaped animal reclining on, ooh, I can't remember if it's left side or right side, but if you imagine a human reclining on one of their sides and imagine that you would have the side of the rib cage, the flank of the body, the thigh, the, the side of the calf all the way down to the heel, they reckon they have all of that impressed in the mud and they think that as the animal kind of reclined and shifted its weight around on the mud that it pressed its heel into the... <clears throat> into the mud several times and that they've got like distinct heel impressions and so they took this big block block of plaster to several experts including like jeff meldrum who's a well-known uh, primatologist uh, he, he works on the, the biomechanics of monkeys but he's well known for his uh, advocacy of sasquatch the big interest in sasquatch and he's published papers on him and published a book on it as well uh, Esteban Sarmiento, who's a, a, a gorilla expert at the American Museum of Natural History in New York, and Darius Swindler, who's um, a primatologist who wrote a book called, I think, Atlas of Primate Anatomy. So, so these people, you know, they know what they're talking about. They know primate anatomy. And um, they mostly, but not entirely, Sarmiento was a little bit on the fence, but they mostly seem to come away from looking at the Skookum cast saying that this really does look you know, this really does look like an impression, a body impression created by a big man-shaped primate. There's a documentary called, I think, Science Meets Sasquatch. Um, really, really fun documentary. I, watch it if you're interested. Um, and some, um, Dara Swindler says on that TV program that of the heel cast, so that the heel impression pressed into the mud, it looks like the ball of a heel with the base of the Achilles tendon. He says that, he says this, look, you know, um, I forgot the exact wording, but he basically says this looks, I'm absolutely convinced that this is the, um, the heel impression of a giant hominid. And he says something like, um, I'm willing to, uh, not I stake my career on it, that's something that Jimmy Chilcott said, <laughs> but something <laughs> along those lines, like I am absolutely confident that this is the, yeah, this is what they say it is. So, again, you know, taken at face value, it's like, wow, that's a pretty, that's an outstanding piece of evidence, especially when we, this, the, the people supporting this, supporting the, the, the validity of the Skook and Bodycast are not just BFRO people, they're not just like true believers of Sasquatch, 
proper qualified, experienced primatologists. And and again, I couldn't help but but take notice of that. So and so that we're talking about again that it was two thousand. The, the body class was found in 2000. By about 2006, there's general acceptance of the idea that this could be a really big piece of evidence. Mm-hmm. So where we'll go with this in a minute is, well, actually, no, it turned out it turned out not to be so. So we'll come back yes. to that. And I think it's also, again, got to do with them being the ex. They are experts, but perhaps they're experts in the wrong thing. <clears throat> so. Maybe. Um, so, but the final piece of evidence um, yeah. that we're going to talk about, I mean, uh, there are other things, of course, but I think these are the big things, aren't they? So right. there's the yeah. Patterson-Gimlin footage. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so from, I mean, from a personal point of view, we're talking about these are, for me, the clinches. I mean, there's also supposed to be hair evidence and all kinds of other stuff. But the Patterson-Gimlin footage as well, this famous bit of, of film, just a few seconds long or, or what was it, 20 seconds long or something, taken 1967 Bluff Creek, California by Roger Patterson and Bob Gimlin. The story is that um, Roger Patterson had a big uh, interest in in Sasquatch. He'd like written a book about it a couple of years, uh, a year earlier, 1966, I think, and specifically went into Northern California in quest of Sasquatch, hoping to film one. Um, produced two reels of film, and on the end, very end of the second reel of film, so. It's the very end of the, the second reel. Um, managed to supposedly he and Gimlin, they're on their ponies or horses, or whatever. Um, came round the corner of Bluff Creek and saw that their story is they saw this uh, obviously female Sasquatch squatting at the creek, and they um, um, the the horse one or both horses were spooked. Um, Patterson's horse reared up or threw him or something, and uh, he got his camera out his little camera and he started filming while he was walking after the animal so and i think most people in the civilized world have seen this bit of footage it's very familiar isn't it it's uh, Indeed, this yeah. striding hairy dark creature that, that looks um in patterson's direction female she has large bouncing um rotund breasts that look very human-like um, and I want to talk about that. That's that the, the breasts thing. I think is is something that's really important. Um, and um, the, the the alleged animal walks into the trees, disappears. He carries on filming it until he runs out of film. And um, um, the I mean, there's two radically different stories about the whole background to this event. There's people who have you know are um, very sympathetic towards Sasquatch phenomenon or are believers or or whatever they maintain that the um uh that the, the we can tell from the anatomy of this creature if we study its anatomy we can see that it's extraordinarily tall and robust it's incredibly wide and thick set it's said that we can see many fine details of its underlying musculature, the details of its pelts. Those breasts are absolutely natural. Its gait is fluid and undifferent from that of, of our own species. And its step cycle is different and the way it lifts its feet are different, all these things. So you have several Sasquatch researchers like Jeff Meldrum and Grover Krantz, several others. And they've said that, look, this thing, just, you know, just forget about the background to Patterson and how they actually got to film this thing. Forget about, ignore Patterson himself. 
that is because Patterson isn't is an issue here. But um, just look at the details of the film, and you have to conclude that this is a this is a, a genuine non-human entity. So that's kind of one approach. The other approach is is that there are other people, some of whom are biomechanists and some of whom are primatologists and anthropologists, and they say that that well the the there are some aspects of the and and obviously there's 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 always been a involvement of the Hollywood makeup community. People have always um, people involved in special effects have always commented on the footage and people interested in the footage or in Sasquatch have always asked people in the makeup community, special effects community, what they've thought, what they have thought of the footage. And you have every opinion you can possibly imagine. You have people on the one hand saying, well, there's no way we could do that. Couldn't do that now, let alone 1967. And then there's other people who say, ah, oh, everybody knows that was a hoax. It was easy to do this. And there is, so I actually don't think that really counts for much. You have every possible opinion from people who probably do know what they're talking about and probably are pretty authoritative on special effects and making primate costumes and so on. Um, but it's the whole background to this story that I think has um, just cast it in a different light over the last few years, particularly since Greg Long's book was published in 2004, The Making of Bigfoot, which um, is disliked immensely by most people who are you know, like um, pro-footers, pro-Bigfoot people, and is embraced by many people who are staunch skeptics of of Sasquatch, and it's uh, the information in that, particularly the biographical information, that um, um, has cast a lot of it in a in a new light. So there's actually so much to say about the the, the Patterson footage that um, it's kind of difficult to know where to start. I mean, well, yeah, I mean, I think in this is it's got the advantage of that you can watch it yourself um, very easily on YouTube. There's lots of good versions, and particularly good other uh, stabilized yes. versions which i think is what made me look at it more carefully because if you look at the the um the original footage with the the amount of shake in it and everything yeah. you just think oh there's nothing there that's just that could be anything the man in a suit easily with mm. that amount of shake once it's stabilized you can see that it's it looks relatively convincing it's not a it's not an unconvincing thing at all it's a relatively convincing large animal um mm. so yeah i would encourage people to go and look for the stabilized footage for themselves and have a look M mk davis is the name of the guy who produced the stabilized footage i think i think that's right and okay. uh, and it's it's always it seemed to me as well that the, the claims when people have said that oh it's obviously fake because of this they point to like two or three details they are ambiguous. Uh, when when the animal, animal in quotes, when it turns, it looks as if the f uh, all the fur on the upper part of the body rotates with it, as would say a piece of clothing, and that doesn't happen with fur. But that that may be the case. But it's ambiguous. The look of its um, buttocks, the sort of the fact that it appears to be quite from the side, it seems to have lots of loose, shaggy fur around its buttocks. That doesn't appear realistic. But but again, that's ambiguous. Who's to say what the back end of an unknown animal actually looks like also and i mean as a as i say really encourage people to watch this for themselves a lot of these details that people pick out on both sides you look at the footage and you think well no i can't see that it could be either it could be none i mean the the detail in the footage is low um anything you say about you know shaggy bits of fur and blah 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 I, I just I'm not convinced that the footage is good enough to say anything authoritative on any of that. Um, yeah. 
<clears throat> and that will come in on the on the skeptic side as well. Yeah. Is there anything more we can say pro the um, <clears throat> Patterson Gimlin footage? What looks Whoa. good about it? Um, what what actually looks good about it? Yeah. So ignore the backstory and all that because I think that that's going to come up in the criticism of it. Mm. Um, mm. But I want to. Why why are we looking at this footage in particular? That oh yeah, what well, makes the, it better the, than better than other footage? Yeah, the the Patterson footage by far is the the best uh, photographic or uh, film style documentation of Sasquatch in that it's the only one where, well, not the only one, but it's the only good one that's kind of out in the open where you can actually unambiguously see the animal isn't obscured behind trees or foliage or in the shade or whatever. It's unambiguously striding out in the open. And it does do a distinctive continuous striding walk for this for this distance directly in front of the of the filmer despite the fact that as you said he's he's moving so there's a lot of jiggle which has been corrected for but um but yeah that i think that makes it the best footage and then it also as you said as well it also looks great it looks like a, a genuine animal with real muscles and real gloss to its pelt it's not obviously a man in a ill-fitting fur costume which a lot of other footage where you see the uh, the animal fairly clearly it's clearly a human animal isn't it i mean it, the mm. other ones are genuine generally obviously fake yeah. whereas this is this is not obviously fake i don't think no and, no, and the I people mean, that say it is i just um i i don't really know where they're coming from i mean what would they expect a bigfoot to look like then what would I make think this it, look less fake it does it does link back to the rejectionist thing i mentioned earlier it's like if you decide that bigfoot is ridiculous and can't exist then obviously that footage is ridiculous um chris packham who's you know a well-known wildlife tv presenter in this country he's uh, he did a, a tv show about it a few years ago and his his opening gambit in a, an article that he published in bbc wildlife magazine was when i first saw the footage i knew it was impossible everybody did and you know that's how he started his article and it's like no you can't say that it's like lots of things in the natural world are ridiculous and so ridiculous as to probably be impossible but that doesn't follow you can't i just don't believe that you can take that as and as a skeptic that is like a non that's a not a defensible argument is it you can't just you can't just launch into something saying well i reject this out of hand it's like come on we know that there are ridiculous claims made about many things, but you have to weigh up. So where does the evidence take you? Yeah. Um, and in, uh, yeah, you're just getting back to the um, point that this, this isn't obviously ridiculous, like lots of footage mm. is, um, which is why we're talking about it. But okay, so we've got the three, three main pillars of well, let's not say it's tremendously strong support for the for the existence of Bigfoot, but it at least is suggestive that this is something we should take be taking more seriously. This this is a Tetsu podcast, so I'm going to assume that people have read some of the stuff on Tetsu before, and there is an article from 2006 about Sasquatch, and those three things are, you know, for me the the the, the three things, and I know I know that's similar for a lot of other people. You, if you say to them, well, you know. I've had many discussions with all manner of biologists and other people over the years. If you say, you know, there's this bit of evidence. When you talk about those three bits of evidence, those are the things that make people sit up and say, well, damn, I didn't, I didn't know about those. They actually sound, they sound pretty compelling. 
Yes, they're the surprising bits of evidence that were very few people knew about back then, I think. It was yeah. sort of a, uh, hidden in lots of ways. So let's just review. So there's the, the Dermal Ridge evidence, the Skookum cast, and the Patterson-Gimlin footage. So let's, yeah. take, let's take them in order and see how these things start to unravel. Yes. Um, <clears throat> so the Dermal Ridge evidence... Um, Jimmy Chilcott basically, well, he did actually say he's he staked his career on this being a an unknown primate. Is that correct? Is it unknown I, primate? I'm, yeah, something like that. Something very similar to that. Yeah. Um, and this was based on, as it turned out, the shape of the dermal ridges, amongst other things, the shape of the dermal ridges in cross section. I believe. So, I think there was a combination of things. It was the fact that there are dermal ridges in the first place. Is that yes. it was the positions that they are in on the foot, as in they are located at the tips of toes and on the sides of the feet, and the fact that their orientation, size, and form is consistent with that of other hominids or hominoids, but with other other with humans and with human with with great apes. Yeah, sorry, I got that a bit backwards. So there is the more obvious superficial evidence, um, that's just primate. But what convinced him that it couldn't be faked was that the dermal ridges in cross-section matched those of primates, which wouldn't be obvious to anyone that was faking it. They wouldn't they wouldn't know this. It was kind of secret knowledge. Yeah, and uh, Grover Krantz, who uh, a well-known Sasquatch researcher who wrote uh, at least one book on Sasquatch. He did make very he, he made very similar claims in his book. He said that he was aware of um, two bits of uh, very small um, anatomical evidence that you see in Sasquatch tracks, which he said nobody could fake. And and he hadn't revealed what these he, he didn't reveal in his book what these were. We now know that they were um, uh, evidence for healed scars. Uh, well, what he interpreted as healed scars that cut across dermal ridges. And I think something else was to do with um, nails, where, where nails cut into substrate. But um, There were also was, something to do with dermal pores, weren't there? Um, that's right, sweat pores sweat were, pores, uh, were yeah. aligned uh, between dermal ridges. Um, I mean, we do have a problem here. This, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're repeating ourselves, I think, but we're, we're, there's the fact that this hasn't been properly published i mean when i want to check this stuff i go to a book published by a guy called chris murphy called meet the sasquatch which is it's a really it's a really nice book and it's it's fantastically well illustrated loads of close-up pictures of the dermal ridges and and trackway evidence but that is not good enough for something that's meant to be this potentially significant i mean should we just cut to the chase you know we now have good reason for thinking that all of these anatomical details are artifacts of the plaster pouring process used in creating these footprint casts. Yes. So, of course, people who are, who are experts on the anatomy of feet, the soft tissue of animals' feet, uh, do not necessarily understand or know the mechanics of plaster. The the, the drying and, and so on that involves that's involved in, in plaster and the... Um, Photographs that have been, I've, I've, I've now seen it myself, uh, as, as plaster dries in layers, it creates ridges, which, according to the way it's poured, can absolutely mimic the approximate orientation of dermal ridges 
on the hands and feet of animals. And um, I mean, it's, it's, and, and things like the scars as well, these alleged scars that Grover Krantz spoke about, they can all be imitated in plaster just due to the, the way it um, yes, dries and- sets. And- <clears throat> So this was this was done experimentally by Matt Crowley or Crowley. What do you think? Uh, I remember it as being Crowley, but um, yeah, don't call. Okay, me let's that. call it Crowley. <laughs> so so yeah, Matt Matt Crowley, and we apologise to him if I'm pronouncing his name wrong. Um, I mean, just took it back to first principles. What happens if you pour plaster in a in a cast of a foot, and out it comes looking like the best dermal ridge evidence that we have which is very interesting in that and i think this uh, this will come up again that the bigfoot research doesn't do enough to establish first principles so Mm. calling in um primatologists is going to get you a lot of knowledge about primates, but mm. there might be other things going on. You need to you need to look at the other things as well. You need to eliminate a bunch of other things before you get to primates. And I think mm. that um, it's it wasn't obvious that this was going to be the case. I mean, it's quite surprising that this is just a natural feature of pouring plaster into a into a footprint yeah yeah um but I, I i do think that it probably should have been done earlier before yeah. everyone's time was wasted well I, I don't want to imply that it's like now it's totally case closed as a result of this investigation but i think it clearly puts enough doubt on the evidence that's put forward to make everyone think well hold on here this either needs to be checked out properly or forget it just move on there must be another piece of evidence i mean krantz did talk about several other bits of of trackways that he didn't think are, are still quite difficult to explain including the way that the trackways sometimes um uh, the, the walls of the track sometimes overhang the bottom of the track implying that whatever made the track was actually a compliant structure it was actually spreading out under load um but yeah, I, 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 there's, there's yeah just but now... you know the problem with that sort of evidence is it's just going to turn out that you know, you stick another sticking way. a board in, in fast at a certain speed, the, the sides will collapse or something like this. Well, or or the, the, people were using rubber. Well, that's what I was going to say. See, the, the assumption there is that when people fake Sasquatch tracks, they use, they use inflexible wooden feet. But if you were to think of a way of actually faking it, that's it's un- everybody knows. Well, most people know that it's really hard to uh, to wear wooden feet and create like a consistently a footprint that looks at all like a real footprint. It doesn't have the same you know spread of load and stuff. So, so if people were to do this, they would they would come up with a different um, yeah a different method. Indeed. I think. So, but, and yeah. so, and when we're talking about establishing evidence for bigfoot you have to do better than this particular method of fakery doesn't Mm. really give us this Mm. therefore bigfoot doesn't work at all (laughs) you have to you have to eliminate all the possible ways of faking something which is very difficult but Mm. isn't isn't something that the Bigfoot community seems to be very interested in doing, which I think they should know. I agree. Well, this is, we should also mention that it had been it had been suggested beforehand that people could fake 
dermal ridges by simply pressing their own fingertips or even their own toe tips into the sides of alleged Sasquatch impressions. We know, we have on record the fact that several Sasquatch researchers, um, field researchers, have said that when they've needed to, I think I think this quote comes from Roger Patterson, actually, but I, we, we definitely know that people were in the habit of like um, creating a, a, an impression in the ground, you know, a track, if needed to, that looked realistic enough to fool other people. Well, as soon as you do that, it's no stretch of the imagination to imagine that some people might have like planted footprints, their own soft tissues from their own feet or hands into impressions. To so that, that's Indeed. in the literature as well. Yeah, I mean, even if you were, um, it's just the way you made it. You just did it with your hands rather than using yeah. a big fake foot. Um, so your own hands and feet, for example. Um, so the problem is that once we've got the dermal ridge um, evidence starting to well, I kind of disagree with you in that I do think this has completely collapsed the case for dermal ridges being interesting evidence at all. It just puts it back in as in the same level of interest as all the anecdotal eyewitness reports. Yeah, it's, fair enough. Yeah, it's now no longer interesting um, unless some new feature turns up, and I'm I'm not very convinced by you know weight loading and stuff like this I, I just think that none of that is experimentally shown to be impossible or even difficult they're, they're not even trying to do that so I, I, I just mm. think that all this dermal ridge evidence, the footprint evidence is just sort of yeah, so what now, you're going to have to do yeah. a okay. lot yeah. better than this um, uh, I agree it's not completely destroyed but it's destroyed enough that it's no longer scientifically interesting would you say that's a oh that's that's fair enough that's well, a yeah, reasonable well i'd say that's reasonable i mean the whole point that we're, t we're having this discussion is because what something that did seem good ain't looking so good yeah <laughs> <laughs> um but i did i i really and i've i'm going to link to this in the um the post <clears throat> on the blog at tetsu.com um about uh, matt, matt crowley's research it's a really interesting read going through what yeah. he did and he's done a lot of this stuff um, and how it turned out. And I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a lot of fun looking at how he made all the casts and um, what he got out of them. It was mm. a, it's a sort of a, although it's not published in a scientific paper or anything like this, it is still a pretty good little... It, it should be. I don't understand why he hasn't got it properly published. He's not a scientist, is he? Well, so, well, so what? That doesn't stop people from publishing scientific papers. Yeah, There's no but, reason why it can't be done. Uh, no, but I mean, he's not, uh, by, by not a scientist, I mean, he's not a publishing researcher. Um, and I think that often the whole publication process and all that is quite mysterious to people, isn't it? Hmm. Um, and in any case, I think he's documented his work well enough that anyone can take a look at it and see what they think. True, Haven't, true. It's not, very, um, it's not mysterious in any, any way hmm. like that. Mm. And I think that's that's a good thing about a lot of this stuff we're talking about, like the Patterson-Gimlin footage. You can have a look at the same stuff everyone else is looking at. Decide for yourself, right? Mm. Um, and I think that Matt, Matt Crowley's research is well-documented enough. There's enough photos up there of what he got, what he did, for you to have a look at and see what you think yourself. I mean, um, which is nice. 
So the next thing is, which is, uh, this sort of gets away from stuff you can look at yourself because it's much trickier to, especially online, find good photos of this, but the um, Skookum body cast. Yeah, the Skookum body cast. Now, we shouldn't talk so long about this. We don't need to say so much about it. But again, yeah, related to what you just said, if I need to check up check up on it, I look in this Meet the Sasquatch book. It's also, there's good images of it in um, Meldrum's book. Um, with the name of which I've forgotten, Science Meets Sasquatch. So the, the you know, main issue with the Skookum Bodycast is uh, it looks really encouraging. You know, you go to these various books if you want to look at images of it, but there isn't, there isn't a paper, there isn't, to my knowledge, I'm pretty sure I'm right, there isn't like a proper study of it where it's been analysed by ichnologists, people who are experts on looking at impressions made by animals. And it seems that not all of the information on it has ever been released. And this is the problem. This is the killer point. So... Looks like, without doubt, you know, without any shadow of a doubt, it does look like the impression of a big human-shaped body. And this heel, this heel mark is, like, really compelling. In one of these books, there is a, a, a picture of the a cast of the heel impression right next to the mould of a human heel. It's like, wow, they're really similar. But they, the, the BFRO guys, they said a couple of times that there were other tracks of other species in the in this like area that they cast now i should say that rather than being right out in the middle of nowhere i mean when i first heard of skookum meadows you know you know how big washington state is you sort of imagine it's like a million miles from nowhere there's no there's no people around no it's right next to a road yeah. <laughs> i'm not joking i'm not joking this mud wallow is literally at the side of a road and that's a really odd place for a an unknown cryptic hominid to lie down in the mud. Um, and, well, there are these other tracks in there. There are, I think there's a, a coyote track was mentioned at one stage. And what I have heard, and it's, uh, I'm really hoping no one calls me up on this because I can't verify it. It's only something I've heard of other people, is that there are whoppity tracks. You know, whoppity, the uh, American red deer. Hmm. Um, there are whoppity tracks in the wallow, literally overlapping the alleged Sasquatch body impression. And, okay, well, that's interesting because Wapiti's a big animal. It's a bigger than a you know, European red deer. And deer often recline in the mud. So hold on, okay, so we know there's a big animal coming in, there's the big, a Wapiti coming into the, this muddy wallow. Well, is it possible that reclined and that explains this kind of human-shaped impression? Well, when deer recline in the mud, one of the things they do is being artiodactyls, the setup of their limbs being different from ours, they recline on their wrists. They push weight down onto their wrists. Now, really interesting thing you can do if you have a deer handy, I don't right now, but go and look at a deer's wrist and press a deer's wrist into the mud. I am reliably informed, I need to test this myself, I'm reliably informed that a deer wrist impression is pretty much a dead ringer for a human heel impression. Well, and again, the go on underlying anatomy is very very similar it's a joint with a tendon that's all you're looking at totally. so what totally yeah yes, totally yeah. so <laughs> why would it not of course it would and and For reals. <laughs> yeah yeah, um, yeah and so we're not looking hit. at a very complicated structure like an ear no. impression or something we're looking at a, a joint with a tendon um, there, there is a, there is a bigfoot a bigfoot bus impression which is supposed to be made by a female and you can see 
the external genitalia and so on. But uh, uh, yes, we're not seeing anything like that in this particular case. But, um, but yeah, as soon as you hear these things, I mean, as soon as I heard what there's Wapiti tracks in the Skookum cast, why did nobody mention this before? I kind of wonder whether they deliberately kept that secret because they knew that as soon as that was known, it was like, well, for many people that will hold on. There's you've immediately tainted the evidence pool, right? And as soon as you learn this thing about the wrist, it's like pretty much game over for that one. Again, I think we can we can move on. So it's fallen Indeed. away. It has not. It's it's so the similarity to a human shape, unfortunately, is almost certainly a uh, a fluke. Yeah. Um. And I think looking at the pictures that are available online, you can see that it's a deer-shaped animal. Um, it's, it's a better fit for a deer-shaped animal than a human-shaped animal. Um, it always seemed weird to me to imagine. It's strange behaviour as well. I mean, okay, again, we don't know anything about the biology of an unknown animal. Who's to say what Sasquatch d- does if it finds food in the mud? But yeah. primates do not ordinarily recline in the mud. They don't normally lie down on their sides, that, that kind of thing. Lying in the it... mud next to a road to eat some fruit. Yeah, it's a bit <laughs> weird. Um, so I, I, did, I did find someone that uh, the person that I think first pointed out that this is probably a deer or an elk. Um, and his name is Anton Rabluski. Oh yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna link to his post on I think it was the JREF forums. Um, oh cool. And I think I found another place. Oh, and I found another place with pictures, and I'll link to all that in the in the show notes. Um, <clears throat> I think the other thing to mention is that it's actually got quite a lot of hair in it too. The um, Skookum Skookum yeah. cast, and it's been analysed, and it's it's it's, it's deer. Right. There's, I think there's a cut and and some coyote and, but I think that there's, there's a couple of unknown hairs in there. But uh, this is a thing: unknown hairs doesn't mean that it's an unknown, unknown animal. species. Yeah, it just means that well, it wasn't is, in the database. Yeah. yeah, true. Yeah, this is a point that's made, and often enough that um, when we try and uh, try and um, study a hair, you, you you tend to have like one sample for a species, and that assumes that all hairs across an animal's body are the same. They generally aren't. Indeed, so, um, and generally you don't have all the species in the area, do you? I mean, there's there's mm. frequently hundreds of species in the area, right? So, well, uh, dozens and dozens. Um, I, I don't. I, my impression is that these databases aren't complete by any means. I think. I think no. I think for someone like North America, they will be complete for species, but they won't be representative for all parts of the body. Um, and and again, let's you know. To to be fair, uh, I specifically remember Grover Krantz again said something along these lines that um, if you find an unknown hair, it could be you know you 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 would compare if you wanted to eliminate deer, you'd look at deer hairs, but you'd be looking at hairs that were taken from the back or the flanks of a deer. You wouldn't be looking at hairs that were from the deer's groin or inside its ears, those kinds of things. And we know from you analyze the hairs of any of any animals. Yeah, you have this diversity in hair length and form that can sometimes ruin these things. Ruin these. Oh, and also to yeah. be fair to the Bigfoot proponents, I, I haven't read any of the serious ones saying that the unknown hairs in this are definitely Bigfoot or even evidence. That's that's not what they're relying on for evidence. It's not it's not the unknown hairs in the cast. I mean, mm. it's, it's the, the shape of evidence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But they're not. The main argument seems to be the shape and. Um, uh, again, the expert testimony, I would, as I'd put it, of primate experts. The problem is that these primate experts are not experts in the traces of other 
mammals. Mm. And if they were, I think they probably would have recognised this as... Yeah, so I, yeah, I really hope that in the case of the Skookum cast, Darius Swindler and the other people involved, I hope they don't you know, come out of this feeling bad because um, you know, Swindler in particular is quoted as having said that he's, he's pretty confident that the, the Skookum body cast is that of a hominid. But he did only look at it from the, obviously being a primate expert. Hey, yes. have a, you, you bring in a primate expert, say, have a look at this big chunk of plaster. They're obviously going to look at it and think, wow, that looks a lot like a primate. <laughs> um, maybe, I don't know, maybe they're not going to look at it and immediately go through all the other animals. I, I don't know. I don't know. That's a tricky one because on the, on the other hand, as a trained skeptic, you kind of think that they would. I mean, that's the foot. Can you definitely say it's definitely not a puma or definitely not a coyote, definitely not a deer, blah, blah, blah. Definitely well, the problem not a is naked that, human. Yeah. I guess you have to be an expert in lots of things then, don't you? And and most people aren't. Most people are mm. experts in a much smaller field. And if they've already got they've been given hints that this is the, you know, this is a primate. Does, mm. Is this consistent with being a primate? Then they're going to say Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it probably is. Yeah. Yes. Um yeah. so uh, you can, as I say, I'm going to link to these things in the in the show notes. You can find pictures of this, and um, I'd encourage people to have a look at it for themselves. It, it, it does look like the shape of an elk or something. It's not, it's not, um, not difficult to see how it could be something other than a bigfoot. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Um, mm -hmm. So it just it. I actually, in many ways, I think this is the weakest of the of the um, lines of evidence. It was in many ways quite strong, given sort of expert um, yeah. opinion on it. But I, yeah. in terms of actually looking at the piece of evidence they've got, it's pretty weak. Mm. It's a it's a mess. It's a it's a it's a something got in the mud and wriggled around a little bit and got <laughs> out. And <laughs> saying, "Well, that's definitely a Bigfoot," was it's always going to be a bit of a stretch, right? I I wouldn't disagree with you. <laughs> So let's we move on to the yeah. Let's, uh, so yeah, so we there's no point yeah. in spending too much time on that. Um, yeah, so let's move on to the Patterson Gimlin footage. Let's let's yeah. Uh, and I haven't done that much reading about the backstory, so I'm going to let you talk about. Oh well, I have over the years, and and one of the really interesting things that stands out is that there's two radically different kind of interpretations of everything that happened, and um, the one that's easiest, most uh, I think easiest to find out about is the sort of the pro Bigfoot stance, which is that. Now, I've got to say that I, I do not have the time in my life to properly bone up on this. I haven't checked all the facts, and I'm really worried with a subject like this of, you know, getting little facts wrong, and then uh, you, you're going to, you know, people know this stuff inside out. So, But my understanding is that um, Roger Patterson was a, um, uh, like a staunch sort of, oh, no, I shouldn't say, I was going to say he's a staunch believer in Bigfoot. I don't even know that he was, but he definitely was very interested in the phenomenon. He wrote a book about it in 1966 called Do, um, oh, Do Abominable Snowmen of uh, America Really Exist? Because prior to people using the term Bigfoot and Sasquatch, they called these things abominable snowmen, linking them obviously to the, to, to the Yeti, which was fairly well known in the 1950s. So Patterson... Um, he he wrote he wrote some some booklet thing about it. Now let's call him a Bigfoot enthusiast, right? He's an enthusiast. A Bigfoot enthusiast. Yeah. Prior to the 1950s, it seems to have been generally believed there was this idea of the Sasquatch or the Bigfoot. I think I think it was known in Canada as the 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 Sasquatch. The Bigfoot thing came later with the the, the first kind of stories about it in California. 
But prior to the 50s, the general thinking was that it was um, that, 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 that Sasquatch was like a wild man, as in like literally kind of humans, that they were maybe a tribe of Indians. Um, so we know that Patterson wrote this book. Now, he went out into the wild in Bluff Creek, North California. I don't know how wild North California really is. Bits of California I've been doing weren't that wild. Not in that sense anyway. But he specifically went out there with the aim of filming Bigfoot, um, was extraordinarily lucky, used up. He used up these two rolls of footage and only managed to get that last, this last few seconds. What a shame. Clearly that shows that it was genuine because otherwise, you know, why would he have wasted all of his footage earlier? And um, he didn't make any money from the footage, right? He... Um, um, he uh, tried making a documentary about it, tried to get various people interested in it, but died within a really short time of, I, th I want to say Hodgkin's disease. That may or may not be correct, but I think he... When people do these kind of things, do they like learn all the facts earlier? Do they sort of like really, really bone up on it? Well, most podcasts are much less uh, fact-heavy. Right. Um, well, so I'm, I'm okay in just winging it then, right? So, um, so, yeah. I mean, I don't. I, these a lot of these details don't. They don't really matter. People. Okay. So, so the point of view that as long I have we get the main from, thrust right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so the, the story that you'll hear from pro footers, from bigfoot, in, bigfoot people in the bigfoot community, is Patterson basically didn't make, didn't realize how important this was, didn't make the most of it, and and died an unhappy man. You know, not not exploiting this footage as best he could have or should have, should have, right? Um, and there are these things that, if linking back to what we were saying earlier about how good the footage looks in some respects, there's things like why, if it's a why, if it's a hoax, did they give it enormous breasts? You know, this is something that's that's almost in 1950s America, um, might 1950s anywhere maybe might have been a problem in terms of like the the usability of the footage. You know, would you have been able to show on TV if it's showing like large naked breasts why put breasts on it the breasts are also very realistic so if they're faked how did how did they fake them so so these i would say that so that's my kind of take on the sort of the bigfoot the pro bigfoot camp right so that's one perspective the second perspective the one that comes from the, the skeptical audience and has been substantially informed by this book published uh this guy called greg long 2004 the making of bigfoot that that claims that the by the way, I should say that the animal in the the uh, the alleged Bigfoot in the Patterson encounter has become affectionately known as Patty, as if it's like an individual that you can go and find. Patty the Bigfoot. The the, the Greg Long opinion is that the the Patty animal is a man called Bob Hieronymus in a suit. And Bob Hieronymus, who I believe is still extant, is this like bulky man. Extant. <laughs> that's the correct term for still living <laughs> um um bob Hieronymus like matches supposedly he matches in like height and girth and stuff with the with the animal and his description he described how they made the suit out of i think horse hide and, and he provided this description of the of the suit and um I mean, there have been stories. The, the reason I was, I personally was initially skeptical about the Hieronymus story, the Bob H hypothesis, as it's known, is that people throughout, you know, since ever since 1967, people have said that, um, oh, my dad was the man in the suit, my uncle was, my granny was the person in the suit. You know, there's all, there's many claims, none of which really pan out in terms of if you do any research on these people, you can find they weren't in Northern California at the time or something. But Bob Hieronymus, well, we know that. 
We know that he um, knew these guys, Patterson and Gimlin. We know that he participated in their adventures. He's even featured in one of the films that Patterson made. And in complete contrast to what I said earlier, you know, the, the Bigfoot enthusiast case for Patterson, in complete contrast, the, um, the way he's cast by um, Greg Long is that um, he was basically, his whole life consisted of like, get rich, get rich quick schemes and sort of dirty little money-making schemes. And he was, he's cast as a fairly sort of unpleasant little character who was always doing like desperate money things. And in contrast to him not making any money out of it and dying bereft of cash and, and sad, in fact, according to Long, Patterson um, working together with, who was his uh, brother-in-law, or working with other people, basically took this bit of footage from town to town and made loads of money out of it, made loads of money out of this footage. And for me, one of the most interesting things, the, the breast thing, not interesting because of the breasts, but interesting because like the whole idea of what Sasquatch was meant to look like is um, um, so why did Patterson, if, if they did fake it right, why did they make it look like that? And that's always been, a, a, I would say, a weakness of the, the Bob H hypothesis or of the, 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 the fake hypothesis. Why would they make it look like that? Why would they give it big breasts? Well, okay, do you remember I said a minute ago that prior to the 50s, people generally imagined Sasquatch to be like a, a human, to be like, you know, like yeah. First Nations, like a, a, a tribe of Indians? Um, in 1955, this guy called William Rowe claims to see a Sasquatch in Alberta. And this is like one of the, the famous, I think it's probably what is it's potentially the earliest detailed Sasquatch sighting. And this guy gets his daughter to draw the animal that he describes. And the animal that he describes is the animal in the Patterson footage. It's not a human. It's not a um, an Indian tribe type creature. It's a um, it's a, a dark furred herbivorous ape, which he watched for some time. Uh, he describes it curling its lips around leaves, stripping leaves off branches and stuff, and um, uh, it's covered covered in fur, head to toe. And it's a female. He says obviously a female because of the breasts and he got his daughter to draw this animal um and the um the the, the the picture that she created is patty it's patty from the patterson gimlin footage so mm -hmm. if what, what would your source of reference have been in 1967 if you wanted to fake a sasquatch film um well the I, I, I'm not sure if it's the only, but certainly the only good, like detailed illustration for what this animal was meant to look like is this William Rowe um, illustration from 1955 or thereabouts. And it shows a female animal with big, very human like plump uh, breasts. And that's, you know, as soon as you like appreciate that, it's like, that's really, it's like, that's either uncanny, it's like amazingly uncanny. That, that people have supposedly encountered a Sasquatch of this form on more than one occasion within like about 10 years of each other, 12 years of each other, or does it actually show that one is based on the other? The Greg Long argument in making a Bigfoot, which is like, you know, in, in sort of 
endorsed by a lot of skeptics of the Sasquatch phenomenon is that's not a coincidence. It generally fits with our understanding that Roger Patterson was um, kind of in this as a kind of um, means of like, you know, making money and such. Yeah. Um, so how solid is this, either of these stories? Um, mm. How much, how much evidence do they am, amass behind, behind them? Well, the, the William, the William Rose story in itself is um, very strange because it's, it's one of the classic tales of Sasquatch. It's like in every single book um, as like the first good Sasquatch account, the, the first account of Sasquatch that really describes it as the, the dark furred ape-like hominid that we think of today. Um, despite that, um, there's always been a bit of um, uncertainty as to who this man was, William Rowe, and whether anybody interested in Sasquatch ever actually met him. And it doesn't seem that anybody did. I learned all of this from uh, Daniel Loxton and Don Prothero, who have been writing a book on cryptozoology for some time. I'm not really sure what the status of that is at the moment. And they said that um, the people who claimed that they had interviewed uh, William Rowe had actually interviewed him by letter which that doesn't quite match my understanding of the term interview. Interview, you sort of have to go and meet someone. We seem to lack any and all biographical information on, on William Rose. It's best to so, in, interwrite. <laughs> yeah. So, so it's, it's kind of like uh, th there are several other key events in, in Sasquatch law which have turned out to you know, collapse when, when examining. I mean, we know, for example, that the earliest... Um, trackway cases from from california this this famous case involving a guy called jerry crew and some other people they claimed they found sas uh, sasquatch tracks in like north california and they started they invented the term well they first started to use the term bigfoot as opposed to sasquatch it's known uh it's, it's established pretty clearly that those tracks were were all faked so um again we're, we're like i i i think that in cryptozoology I was explaining this to some other people the other day about Yeti. Um, when you actually look at the actual individual eyewitness accounts, they're often kind of fairly vague. So like Yeti accounts, people say that they've seen big shaggy animals in the Himalayas. They don't describe specific primate-like attributes. But as soon as somebody, and again, this happened in the 1950s, as soon as somebody like comes up with an image of what the animal's meant to be like, and because it's a printed image, you know, like in Hergé's Tintin book or Bernard Hoeferman's is on the track of animals. As soon as someone comes up with an actual detailed image of what that thing is meant to look like, then everyone forever afterwards, whenever they think of the word Yeti or Sasquatch or whatever, whenever they think of these words, they of course can't help but think of that iconographic, that, that they can't help but think of that specific image. And if we think that all the modern, whenever we think of Sasquatch or Bigfoot today, we think of this, the, the patty type animal. Not necessarily with the breasts, because I don't think they all have those. I'm guessing yeah. the male ones. But, but um, we can't help but think of that kind of animal. And in this particular case, that the idea that that's what the animal is meant to be to be like, all you know, channels down is all resting on this William Rowe case of 1955. And we find out that that guy 
nobody spoke to him nobody knows anything about him it's like it's certainly not ideal is it it's not an ideal <laughs> situation for um and, and given that you know and like i said there's this before that sighting before that report oh and and his 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 report only came out in about i think 1957 when there was some big media circus in california to do with those the jerry crew fake trackways so they're like in the newspapers and everything at the time that's when he comes forward and said oh by the way a couple of years earlier i saw one of those in alberta so really that's that, that well that's uh funny that you should keep it quiet until until now and and before that remember before that so people whenever people are talking about sasquatch in canada they're not talking about an ape they're talking about an animal that's meant to be like a tribe of of first nations people so one of the things that's of great interest to sasquatch advocates is um they are always trying to find uh, evidence from imagery or folklore or you know legends or whatever of of an animal that matches with um the the william Rowe type the patty type sasquatch but which predates the uh the late 1950s and and i'm not sure that they've yet succeeded i know that um, there are some claims in many ways, also, a lot of this is a bit of a wasted effort. Because even if they do, who cares? Even if they had a great backstory for the Patterson-Gimlin footage and there wasn't a lot of, um, there wasn't a good alternative story. Yeah. There's still enough doubt there for people to go, well, yeah, you're going to have yeah. to give me something much better than this. And I think that um, Although these things did sort of look hopeful in 2006, they were still the beginnings. They were never going to be a, totally. yeah, yeah, a yeah. case for Bigfoot on their own. They needed, they needed to take it to the next level, and instead what they've started to do is crumble. Mm. Um, but even if they hadn't started to crumble, we need better than this because although, you know, it, let's say the Patterson-Gimlin footage, it's still... As far as we knew, knew, there were still both honest guys who went out and filmed this thing. There's still enough doubt that they might have been liars, that there might have been someone else playing a trick on them, that there might have been there's some sort of way this could happen. Mm. But it's never going to be good enough. That sort of evidence is never going to be good enough. Um, and I think this is a, a an interesting sort of... It's interesting that there's still so much argument about this stuff because, for me anyway, it's a bit, well, so what? You know, okay, fine. Let's go to the next level. Let's find something then. All the efforts now, mm. in my opinion, if you do believe in Bigfoot still, should be finding a much more solid bit of evidence. And it doesn't actually take that much. A single bone would do it, right? That'd be enough, a bone. Just find mm. one Bigfoot bone. Go and scour those woods. Get hundreds of people, scour them, pick up every single tiny fragment of bone and test it all. Why not do that? Instead, we're arguing about whose anecdotes stand up to what scrutiny. And frankly, uh, you mm. know, the best anecdote in the world from most reliable witness is still going to be, well, interesting, but not good enough. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we well, you, you do have people on both sides saying this. I mean, you you have the fact that the the the, the Patterson footage is so, um, well, the fact that any interpretation of it is ultimately subjective. People on both sides saying 
that the other side just needs to look at the footage harder and you know and think about the details they see means that in the end people on both sides have said well we're not ever going to get anywhere with it so we, uh, we should give it up but um but yeah yeah i know I, I totally agree with you and so the question is have people actually worked hard enough to to really try and find evidence in support of or against the existence of this uh, of this creature and on the one hand you know so far people have done enough field work and investigation and such in north america to for you to think that surely if there's something that they would have found it by now but on the other hand there's the 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 argument that well have people actually properly looked like right enough hard enough and in the and in the right places um well also i guess there's the the argument which i think is reasonably plausible i mean the problem is that a lot of this gets into sort of i don't know an unscientific realm in that it feels like special pleading but that um mm. If Bigfoot was a real animal, there's a very good chance that at the moment it would be going extinct. It would be a severely endangered animal with a very low population. It's not implausible that such an animal could have been going extinct over the 20th century. And in fact, there were some in 1967 and now there are none. They're all dead. I mean, that's not doesn't seem to me to be an implausible scenario. Um, so I guess the notion that um, <clears throat> if you can't find living ones now, means they never existed. It's is questionable, which is why I I suggest that a better a better way to approach this would be remains, right? Yeah, yeah, find yeah. Remains of some sort, which would yeah. settle it. And you don't have to find, as I say, you don't have to find very much. You, you yeah, can so, find so, very yeah. scrappy bits, and and it would settle it forever and done. Well, y you know, you can. Do you know what eDNA is? Environmental DNA. The fact that people can now extract DNA from uh, sediment and water and such, and they're now using that to um, to uh, monitor populations of animals that occur in areas where you can't actually find the animals. The animals are rare enough for you not to be able to find them, but traces of them, their DNA or their their um, you know, feces or urine or whatever, do leach into soils, and these are quite long lasting as in they last for hundreds of years, people have um, extracted MOA eDNA from soil in uh, New Zealand, obviously. So you, you go down however many meters in the sediment and all you find is sheep DNA, and then you get to a certain level where there's no more sheep, and then you start finding MOA DNA. So, um, yeah, I'd love it if somebody did that for Sasquatch. Uh, and, of course, you know... But hang on, hang on. Don't you have to have a Bigfoot sample to compare well, against? No, well, you... you well, I was going to say, remember, you don't because you you um, you would from a DNA sample, you'd be able to tell which animal it was closest to. So you would find DNA that's human like and is from a higher primate, but isn't from a human. And again, that's okay. totally plausible. Yeah. OK, so but OK, so this is a good segue. So this new paper. Yeah. With the DNA evidence. Yeah. Um, so which is why we're talking about this. So and the background is that um, you and I. Uh, very interesting Bigfoot. We're starting to look vaguely hopeful in 2006, 2007, maybe. It's all started to crumble. Well, I would say it's it has crumbled for me entirely. I sure. <clears throat> I no longer believe there is any even remotely compelling evidence that Bigfoot exists. Um, given this background, we've got this new paper that says they found. Oh, what is the actual claim here, Darren? Because it's the, a bit unclear, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, I believe, uh, and I would similarly agree with somewhat opaque, but I believe they're saying they actually have the genome 
of uh, several Sasquatch individuals, and they know exactly what it is. What do they think it is? So they're saying that it's... Uh, now, this is kind of difficult to... Again, kind of difficult to extract from the paper. But basically, they're saying that it's a um, an animal that's a hybrid because they're saying that it's got... Is it that it's got mitochondrial nuclear DNA? One, I think it's mitochondrial Mitoc- DNA. It's empty DNA is human. It's homo sapiens. Yeah. But some of its nuclear DNA is from something else. Yeah. came from elsewhere. And it's like, when I first read the paper, and um, I don't know, should I say that I was a reviewer of this paper? This this paper has been... I don't see why not. I don't I, see I, why not, no, yeah. So, um, yeah. This, it's, so this paper has been... I mean, for, for those who don't know, this paper has appeared in a new journal that the authors have set up themselves. Certainly not an ordinary procedure for any... Um, for any piece of scientific research, they've set up their own <laughs> journal called De Novo. And although it's claimed to be open access, for those of you who don't know, open access means that it's openly available for free to anybody. You have to pay $30 to look at their paper and you're not allowed to share it. So I don't think they quite understand the concept of open access. But, um, so before they published it in this new journal, they did try to get it published in several mainstream academic journals. And I was a reviewer of one previous version so i know it well from a previous version um the reason it failed in review isn't because of a conspiracy against the existence of sasquatch it's not because the experts the many experts who reviewed it were blinkered or biased or anything like that it's because it just did not meet the standards that are expected for a paper making such bold claims and they indeed they, and i'll just interject here i mean uh, obviously you're not adverse to the idea of there being a bigfoot out there I think that would be tremendously perf- exciting, wouldn't it? Well, t- well, totally. I think it would be for anyone. So, wow, this is amazing. Let's see if the, the claim actually stands up. And I, I really so, hope that uh, it would. And quite the did. opposite of being a conspiracy against Bigfoot, you would be hoping this paper showed, <laughs> wouldn't you? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Very much. And, and I would say the same is true for some of the other people. They weren't just they weren't just reductionists. They were like, wow, let's let's look at the evidence here. But um, it totally failed. So, so this major source of confusion. Okay, you're saying it's got human dna and you're saying it's got other kinds of dna well what other kinds of dna are you saying that it has and they're saying that the other kinds of dna which can't be matched with anything that we know of they're saying those are from some other animal some other non-homo sapiens animal so they're saying it's a hybrid of homo sapiens and something else and therefore sasquatch bigfoot is a real entity it fits within the human species because it's like involves a lot of human dna but it's a hybrid between humans and something else and presumably this something else is like the original sasquatch so it seemed to me they're just adding like a different layer of mystery to this phenomenon they're saying there's some other animal out there that we don't have and we haven't got data for but there's something else out there and its dna has contributed to this this sample now um it's already discussed extensively online um quite a few sources i i read sharon hill's articles at doubtful news brilliant uh, skeptical website um before doing this and um uh she's got articles about you know what other what geneticists have said about this research and it, the, the general thinking is that these other bits of dna um they aren't big enough in the genome to actually demonstrate evidence for hybridization which is what Ketcher Metal are saying then they don't evidence hybridization between homo sapiens and something else they instead are what you would predict they are they're contaminants they're bits of DNA from other kinds of animals. And the background to this study, of course, 
I think this is, you know, most people know this already, it's kind of a given. The background is that the Ketchum team collected tissue samples from right across North America, something like 100 different localities that are claimed to be bits of Sasquatch tissue, things like blood and saliva and toenails and hairs and things, um, collected at places where people can say they've seen Sasquatch. So immediately you're thinking, well, if you've collected like 100 samples and you're saying that you've got a, a genome that consists of human human DNA as well as other animals, well, surely those other animals are going to be like raccoons and bears and skunks and <laughs> domestic cats and whatever. Indeed. And it does, it does seem that is the case. It seems that it's a hodgepodge of all kinds of stuff. Preliminary results I've heard from other people, I hope I'm allowed to say this, I think it's online already, is that, yeah, those other bits of DNA do match bears and skunks and raccoons and things. And, um, yeah, it, it, it just seems that they, they collected... Like if you're collecting like you know random tissue samples from across North America, that's what you're going to get. So they do not they do not provide evidence that supports their claim that they have a new taxon. They don't provide evidence that this is the hybrid that they say it is. Their paper is very peculiar. The way it's been done, the way it's been published, the paper itself the paper itself is very odd. I mean, not only does it have these um, weird trees in it that don't look like any you know trees that are normally published in genetic analyses but did you see the photograph in the in the, the in the paper i don't know if you've seen the paper but it's got um, a, a photograph of like what's meant to be a, a sleeping bigfoot it's lying out in a in a woodland sleeping and and for me it's <laughs> well not just for me i'm sure for many people let's even if the paper was the strongest methodologically the strongest scientific paper you could imagine don't include that photograph in here because <laughs> it's like a carpet. It looks like a Chewbacca costume just lying in the woods. It's breathing, so it seems to be there's a person in it or there's a pump in it or something, but it just does not look like a real animal. It certainly doesn't look like a, a, a Bigfoot. So I think I think it's claimed in the paper that the, the breathing rate of the this sleeping thing is can't be matched by human. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, it's really difficult to breathe about um, what at a one and rate, a half times slower than you normally oh, do. Oh, who, who can do that? Who could so, possibly it, do that? Yeah, it, I mean, if you're into Bigfoot, the Bigfoot community, it's really interesting thing about the Ketchum project is like the history of the project itself. How because it's all linked to all other things that other people have said about Sasquatch. So like they had to because there are several research teams research teams in the broadest sense of the term i don't mean that in a rude way but you know there are several different groups across north america who are trying to, to document field evidence to support the validity of sasquatch and who are supposed to be collecting dna evidence and the ketchum team like ended up working together with some of these groups originally there was like sort of animosity between them there's this thing well-known thing called the ericsson project and um if you check that out i mean oh my god the claims made by some of these people are truly astounding um, they claim that th there's it, there seems to be quite a few people interested in mystery primates worldwide, not just in Bigfoot, but also in like, the Almas from um, Asia and uh, the Yeren and uh, Chinese wild man. People who claim to to know, they they claim that they have like as much information on these animals as say Jane Goodall does on chimpanzees or Diane Fossey has on gorillas. They kind of imply that they've actually like you know, habituated these animals and studied them at close range and all this kind of stuff. And, and it, the, Ketchum, the Ketchum project, they, they, they mentioned somewhere that it's known that... Have you ever heard this thing about wild men and Sasquatches and other animals 
plaiting the hair of of horses. No, this I've is never like a, heard this. Oh no, this is a, this is a well known bit of like wild man lore. It's like thousands of years old. People claim that um, there's there's illustrations, there's photographs from like Central Asia where there's like a, a wild man called the Almas or the Almasti, and um, there's a photograph in a book by a lady called Myra Shackley, which is supposed to show the braided mane of a pony. And the people there believe that wild men do this, that during uh, that they're friends with horses and at night they come up to them and just for fun, they like plait their hair. And <laughs> that is also present in the North American Sasquatch law. And I'm pretty confident, I'm pretty sure, I remember hearing it said that Melba Ketchum has said this is like a known behavioral thing that Sasquatch does. It actually goes and plaits the hair of horses. And so all these things, I mean, if, if people really know this much about these animals, that they've observed them at close quarters, they know what their behavior is, they know what they eat. Well, seriously, you know all that stuff and that you, don't, you can't show me like a compelling photograph or the only photograph you've got is of a thing that looks like a shaggy carpet lying in the woods. And um, the, There's yeah, many, many, many other little, really interesting little vignettes of Sasquatch research that have all been absorbed by the Ketchum Project and ultimately do not, provide support they, they they don't like bolster it they sort of they're, they're now all looking pretty poor as a result of the way this has gone i think it's quite interesting that this paper is actually um so weak that i think it's done a lot more harm than good if you're a big bigfoot proponent i just it's, it's true it's a um uh, given the amount of attention it's got it's 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 a piece of nothing it's yeah. it's terrible terrible um well if if they if they'd done it properly if they'd published it in a proper technical journal which they could have done um not not necessarily coming to the same conclusions they did because i think the conclusions were untenable but even if the data that they had if they had done it properly they still could have gotten a proper paper out of this but the fact that the paper it's the, the, the paper itself is a farce one other thing i should say is that some of the references in the paper i think i got this from sharon hill as well some of the references in the paper are spoof papers you know people sometimes publish <laughs> spoof papers where they say there's a couple of papers where people say that they have found yeti dna and it demonstrates the yeti's real but it's the sister tax on to like the serow it's like a it's, a it's a hoofed mammal it's not a primate it's, what they've actually discovered. it's actually it's actually a goat-like antelope it's like, no way and uh, ketchum cite you know two or three papers that are clearly they're not meant to be taken seriously as scientific studies of <laughs> or, uh, or or the yeti but they seem to have just included those as a uh, yeah so strange naive i think mm. that in lots of ways so we've sort of been through that Bigfoot, its prior plausibility is not is not that low. <clears throat> sure. It would still be a, uh, I don't want to say an extraordinary claim, but it's a, um, it would be a big claim and a very interesting one, but its prior mm. plausibility isn't that low. The evidence started to look good, but sort of fell apart. And I don't really want to compare it to things like UFOs and things, but I'm I'm going to anyway. Um, in that they say that the UFO believing community has started to collapse. Yeah. In that people are um, They're not expecting a lot of video and, and photos mm. to come through because everyone's got a camera, a video camera on them all the time. Mm. And everything that ever could be 
seems to be captured on video. I mean, you've only got to look at that Russian meteorite recently. Oh, yeah, and, yeah. And the spectacular video you get of that. And yet the number of compelling UFOs videos is... Where are they? Where are they? They're not there. And I think that the similar thing's going to happen for Bigfoot, and perhaps it already has, in that if we believe these animals are still alive, they're still out there, people are having encounters with them, where are the compelling videos? I mean, yeah. the there's just no legitimate excuse now not to have compelling videos. Um, even the fakes aren't that good. I mean, I haven't seen no. a, a good Bigfoot fake for, for ages. I can't think of a good um, Bigfoot fake, actually. Well, no, I, I made a point of watching a load of videos recently. They were all taken in the past few years, and I, I was pretty sure they were all fakes. And uh, I wouldn't say any of them were, were good. I mean, I... Um, there's also there's a TV series called Finding Bigfoot, which I watch, and I find that quite interesting. Um, interesting because you know it's being led by a bunch of people who are their primary, you know, the, the, the main motivation is that it's real. We, we're trying to you know have encounters with it. One one of the things, a bit of evidence that we haven't discussed, is vocalizations. You know, people say that they they've heard or recorded. There are lots of vocalizations attributed to Sasquatch. Well, one of the things that we've learned from finding Bigfoot, get this, is that people go into the woods and holler to imitate Bigfoot. Right? <laughs> <laughs> now, people claim all the time with the kinds of vocalizations on record that they can't be imitated by human. And that's always a difficult thing to judge because, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, Ooh, it's just, humans it, can do all sorts of exactly, weird things. Yeah, yeah, people can do some of the stuff that's said not to be... Uh, beyond beyond the vocal range of a human, definitely this uh, there's this particularly bizarre set of vocalizations. Uh, uh, Ron Moorhead rings to, comes up, this this I can't remember the, the details, but this this set of bizarre sounds. I might insert them in the actual podcast. The uh, I make an idiot myself here, but the the, the noises go. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I don't need to put them in anymore. That's perfect. I'm pretty sure Ron Moore had this fantastic set of noises attributed to Sasquatch and said to be beyond the vocal range of a human. And it's like, have you really analysed enough people to be absolutely, absolutely 100% sure that people can't imitate these noises? Because I bet you there's some people that can. And we know from Finding Bigfoot, we now know there are people that go out in the woods and make Bigfoot noises. If I'm standing on a mountain in the middle of the Cascades, whatever, Mount St. Helens or something, and I hear... A Bigfoot noise, I might think that was a Bigfoot, not that's a guy calling Bigfoot to the Bigfoot <laughs> response. Um, I think, I, yeah, I, but seriously, if you're interested in the phenomenon, I mean, I mean, watch it. It's very, uh, uh, finding Bigfoot is a, it's is, is kind of, Tony won't let me watch it because she hates these TV programs that are just meandering tales of nothingness, <laughs> <laughs> where the whole program is done to just basically make you watch it and nothing happens at the end of it. Yes. Um, What's, what's so, the ghost ghost hunters is like that too, isn't it? Exactly, it's exactly the same format as that, yeah. and they're fun to watch because I love the fact that you see um, ghost hunters and other TV programs like that. There's there's a there's one called Paranormal Investigations, which is on at the moment, I think, where they um, or is it fact or faked? Can't remember. There's there's one where they go they go to places that are meant to be haunted, and you see. Bear in mind the the investigator is often with a camera person. You'll see the camera person like knock a chandelier with their boom mic or something, <laughs> but they're out of shot. They're slightly out of shot. So the investigator sees the thing moving. Oh my god! Oh my god. It's like, well, yeah, come on. 
come on. I think I yeah, uh, and this is uh, this is the big uh, problem that Bigfoot has as in being taken seriously. There's a lot of people that you just cannot take seriously are very interested in it, right? So it's the yeah. same sorts of people out there <laughs> hollering in the woods for Bigfoot. They're the sorts that would go out and look for UFOs. Mm. Um, and I think have you seen, that have you seen they're the equally, <laughs> equally, uh, yeah, they make the subject look ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and sorry, having mentioned Finding Bigfoot, I've, I've got to mention the episode of South Park called The Juba Capra, Juba which Capra? Uh, the Juba Capra is Cartman, Cartman invents a, uh, an evil, like, sort of anti bunny, anti Easter bunny creature called the Juba Capra. Uh -huh. The opening sequence of the episode is based on. The opening sequence of John Carpenter's The Thing. Ah. Now that would be a segue, but I think that we've probably gone, segue, we've gone on for too long. Yeah. 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 <laughs> we'll do that. We will do that next episode. Okay. Um, we got anything more to say on Bigfoot? Um, we've covered a lot of stuff. And if, if people actually people if people listen to this again and write down all the facts that we've mentioned, they'll find we've just we've just spoken about, I don't know, we've written our own book in words. Yeah, as opposed I think to that's, that's good. Well, you know, it's a Bigfoot special. It should be long. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, I hope we haven't got too much terribly, terribly wrong. Uh, I don't think we have. Yeah. I did a bit of reading. Before. What's the worst that could happen? Well, yeah. exactly, exactly. But there are, I, I do, I, I do love the fact that there are some, there, you know, the the Bigfoot literature, the Sasquatch literature, is not written by kooks. There are some really good books written about Sasquatch by animal behaviorists and field biologists that John Bindenagel's book is, is very good. Um, Jeff Melder's book is good. Krantz's book is good. And I, I don't mean these are good because like they make me believe in Bigfoot, but um, I don't know, just uh, I, do, I do like the, as, as soon as soon as an entity kind of, as soon as people think that there is a real entity, then the fact that I love the fact in cryptozoology, people like build up an entire sort of universe around this creature and, so it's it's almost it's it's almost like it maybe it is speculative zoology. Yeah, I think that, that's, I think that's fair. I think it is. It's yeah. speculative zoology. So these books are great fun, but you know, just obviously you have to be massively skeptical about it. And some of the stuff that's you know that's claimed about the biology of, of Sasquatch and other um, uh, ape men type creatures is truly extraordinary. Not only platting the manes of horses, but also building piles of stones and uh, building mattresses out of moss and the, the things they've been seen to do with like chocolate and fish and donuts and all this kind of stuff. I mean, it's it's, <laughs> it's pretty it's, cool. It's, all the little details that people, uh, as we have to say, probably made up, right? Yeah, 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 been, yeah. But it's people building on each other's little injection well, of details or well, yeah. not necessarily made up often i think a lot of this is just mistaking no, no, I, I, I think right, well, right? We, we, we we've touched on this and we you know we would we would have to talk for hours to, to get through all of this but a, a really interesting thing about sasquatch and other eight men type creatures um john bindenagel says in his book which is i, I can't remember the title it's like field guide to bigfoot or something but he says that people have reported for sasquatch a load of behaviors that are now known to be real behaviors in gorillas, orangutans, and chimps. And he says that, how come people reported this behavior before it was documented in gorillas, apes, and chimps? Well, I think that's because a lot of these bits of behavior are kind of archetypal mythical things that people have always believed in about the mythical wild man, because 
the the, the reason that the um, Bigfoot and Yeren and Almas and Yetis and all these things and, and Orang Pendek, whatever, the reason that that they are so prevalent in all the cultures of the world, in literally every you know every landmass, literally everywhere people go, they say they see this thing. It's because this idea of the semi-human, the subhuman, the feral man is kind of deeply ingrained into our mythology, and probably has to be because you know uh, we we've got an idea now of where we fit within nature. But I think before the concept of like evolution was scientific evolution was accepted, um, people probably had to have a creature that was neither them and was neither an animal. It was kind of halfway in between the two. And that's where we have this like infinite range of possibilities for the biology, behavior, anatomy of wild man. They've like always been there. And obviously the fact that they persist. In... Also, I mean, there probably still is cultural memory of, 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 um, very human-like hominids, right? Well, that's, you know, they, that has, they lived up until fairly recently, didn't they? There several, yeah. several sorts. Um, I don't. I'll probably get my dates mixed up, but Neanderthals are not that that old, are they? And um, no, Neanderthals... certainly Homo florensis, and there's probably others we don't know about, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so if if the, if, Den if Denisovans are um, Denisovans. Another one of those pronunciation. Hey, I heard someone else say something sp the other day. Turns out to be <laughs> widespread usage. But, um, take that, Keezy. Take that, Keezy, Mike Keezy. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, this, this idea of like a cultural or racial memory is, is, is mooted at times. I don't really know. I don't, don't know how seriously to take that because it's... Well, it, I don't think it's very mysterious. It'd be literal stories being passed generation to generation it's not like a mysterious mm. mechanism yeah yeah but if like uh, the most apart from theresiensis which is supposed to have persisted until i don't know more recently and things like neanderthals neanderthals are supposed to be like 35 to possibly twenty-eight thousand years ago i think theresiensis is something like the youngest ones are potentially something like sixteen thousand years ago um even those really young dates are probably too old for them to have been you know, incorporated into into modern uh, thinking, I, I I would think. But I would love to know why. Why what, do you think that? Why do you think that? Well, only because whenever people discuss this, they say that the the evidence that they have for the persistence of memories and stories it doesn't go back anywhere near that far. It doesn't even go back like a couple of thousand years. It's like people do not have tales and stories that persist for. Maybe not whole stories, but like small motifs, behavioural motifs and well, things like this, which is well, the sort of thing we're talking about yeah. with, exactly. with so wild what, men, what, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, what, what I wanted to say is the only, the only time I've ever heard about this kind of stuff, about, you know, racial memories, whatever, is it comes from the grey literature. It comes from people who are interested in this because they're interested in... Um, it, it doesn't come from, say, psychologists who have you know, studied this phenomenon and, and have it like, you know... I mean, we shouldn't talk about evolutionary psychology because the whole of that field is generally that's kind of like a, 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 bit of a nightmare. <laughs> a, a, let's see. Yeah, yeah, big problem problem field as to how seriously you take it. But um, I would love to know. Well, I suppose I, I don't know who would be the people. The the experts would certainly be what well, um, anthropologists, yeah, anthropologists, anthropologists yeah. wouldn't they? Yeah. Um, yes, it's not an area I know anything about. So let's shut up. Yeah. Likewise. Yeah. Sponsors? Sponsors. Oh, oh, 
we have a sponsor. We had a sponsor. We yeah. had a sponsor. Yay! Thank you, guy. Yeah, his name is Will. Thank he's you. Will. Be, he's going to be pseudo anonymous. Um, he paid for well, ne- nearly three months hosting. So there we go. Good work. Good work, Will. That 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 makes me very happy. So massive means, shout out to means Will. yeah means the uh, podcast is not a money losing money losing enterprise. Gold bars found by <laughs> gold bars found by Marge Zero. <laughs> gold bars found by Homer. Where we'll just see. What the hell are you talking about? The listeners, the listeners know, John. The listeners know. Right. Well, I don't. Um. Uh. So, where where can they go? Where can they go? Where do they go? Oh well, for the podcast, they go to tetsu.com. And we're going to have a lot of links from this episode on tetsu.com, so go there. Um, I've decided to actually put, you know, proper links in the show notes and stuff because work. that's helpful. Um, and where do they go to find you? Tetrapod Zoology is currently hosted at Scientific American. I can't remember the web address, but it's not <laughs> difficult to find. I'm also on Twitter. Google. At, uh, yeah, try Google. Try Googling Tetrapod Zoology uh, <laughs> on Twitter at at... Tet Zoo. At at. On Twitter. Yeah, at at. At at. 80, 80, as, as we used to say in the 80s at school. Mm. Uh, you're on Twitter at at Nick Topterus. Good name. <laughs> Shut up. So, yeah, no, they don't, you, you can't find me that way. You have to go to johnconway.co and then there's links to my Twitter and Facebook. Um, yes. And they should buy our books. They should buy our books. They should. They should buy Tetrapod Zoology, book one. Correct, which is available from Amazon and other digital retailers. John and I have also recently contributed to a book called All Yesterday. It's about science and speculation in paleontology. You make it sound like we contributed. We, 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 well, we wrote. We wrote. With, and with our friend, yeah. Mevdo Chesda Memo Kozman. What was that? CM, Mevdo Chesda <laughs> Rather than... Rather than having seven different names, I thought I'd try and amalgamate them into as little as possible. Uh, CM Kozman, oh, our good Kozman. friend and colleague. Um... I think that's it. That's all we've done. That's all we've done in our life that is is worth money. So, yeah, buy those. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't know what to say about that. Um, Right. What are we going to do next time? Uh, I don't know. I think we'll we'll return to format. I think we'll do uh, a more normal episode of Tetsu, and I think we'll talk about the thing. Oh yes, the thing. Oh yeah, yes, because we recently, we both recently watched the uh, new sequel, prequel, prequel. Sorry, oh yes, prequel. Back to prequels. Oh dear. Yeah. All right. Well, great. Thanks, Darren. Thank you, John. Bye. Bye then. <laughs> Bye. <man. laughs>